Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Looking out the window in my uh, palatial studios in Fort Collins, it's raining again. You know, today's going to be the last day of rain in June because I checked on the Internet. And we averaged three days of rain in June. So it rained the first three days, so this will be it. I think not. It's uh, scheduled uh, to rain the whole next week. Now, it's hard for me to be disgruntled about too much rain after we've gone through water shortages. And this is filling the lakes. The rivers are running high. We're going to talk during the show how that's all affecting the fishing. And there's some great fishing going on right now. We'll touch on that. Uh, And it's free fishing weekend. So you don't need a license today and tomorrow to get out and fish. So even if you've got some just old gear, (coughs) excuse me, old gear sitting in the garage, maybe get some line on it or if you think it's usable, take the kids down to a pond, catch some bluegills. You don't need a license. If you spend a half hour, an hour, it's no big deal. Dig up some worms, go buy some bait. Just get out there and give it a try if you haven't done it for a while. You're going to find yourself having a good time. You're going to have to dodge some rainstorms. Be extremely careful in lightning. Uh, lightning is one of the biggest outdoor killers in the United States. And we and Colorado is one of the hardest hit spots for lightning in the United States. So be just be cautious. Use common sense. Don't be out in the open. Don't be high and exposed. Don't be on the water during lightning because uh, it can be dangerous. Now, I am going to get in trouble today because I have a cold and I do not have a cough button on my microphone in our studios in Fort Collins. So I'm fighting a really bad cold. Hopefully I'll make it through the show. But whenever I clear my throat or cough, a lot of times I'm not going to be able to keep it from going over the air. And during breaks, Karen is going to probably come over and slap me and yell at me because she hates it when I do that. So bear with me on that. Hey, let's go to the phones. Joining us from the Colorado Wildlife Trail is Josh Sheldon. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Terry. It is Colorado Wildlife Trail, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. For a minute, I, I put down CWT, and for a minute, I was going to think it's not tour, it's trail. But you know, I, I knew that. I just didn't know I knew that. I guess, Josh. How long have you well, guys we, been around? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, well, we we kind of consider ourselves a tour with how good of our our anglers are, but we go by trail. So, Colorado Walleye Trail is a walleye tournament based activity that most of your tournaments are right here in Colorado. Why don't you kind of explain to people what CWT is? So CWT is a competitive walleye series that we host uh, on Colorado lakes. Uh, it is focused for our state parks uh, and for our Colorado anglers. We are uh, a member of the um, Bass Pro Cabela's family. We are a uh, tournament or a circuit contributor, I guess, for the national team championship which we currently have four teams competing in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So we have a team of the year race and we have a captain of the year race and our top four captains uh, win spots with the national team championship and they go compete nationally. So uh, we use the local circuit for uh, a lot of really great events Uh, around the state of Colorado. We try to spread it out and we get, give the anglers a chance to go compete on the national stage. Now, if, if somebody doesn't want to, <laughs> excuse me, jump in and do all four events, in fact, a couple of them are over this year already, 
they can dip their toe in by just doing one or two. Is that right? Absolutely. We encourage everybody to uh, start out with, especially just if this is your first tournament, give it a try. Come join us at your your home lake and, um, you know, see how it's, how it goes, what it feels like to fish in a tournament, what it feels like to be competitive. We use the top three tournaments of the four to determine our team of the year and our national team champion uh, teams. So if you miss a tournament, not a big deal. You get We have four, so you can drop one. And um, come, come check it out. It's, it's really a great, great experience. Now, I'm going to get some fishing updates from you in a minute, but let's talk a little bit more about the, tr- the walleye trail. Uh, you got Pueblo coming up. I want to talk about that in a minute because that's an incredible lake to fish, and it's a competitive lake that you can use a number of different means to catch fish, and I think that's going to be a, would be a great one for people to start with. But let's go through the events you have left this year and some special events you have here. Tell us what, and then what kind of prize money? Tell us those things. So we have Pueblo coming up, like you said, and that's going to be uh, June 10th and 11th. Uh, registration closes on Wednesday at midnight. Uh, we have Sterling, which is scheduled for July 8th and 9th. Again, another great fishery, another great place to go. Sterling always does an amazing job hosting us. And then through All Eyes on Fishing, we have two shootouts that are coming up. And these shootouts are designed to be one-day events where you go out there and you, you give it all you have for one day. And it's going to be uh, a little bit higher entry, but the payouts are going to be great. So if we, we are capping the field at 60 boats, and if we fill the tournament with all 60 boats, first place will be $13,000. So okay, it's definitely... No, keep going. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so So the first one is going to be Glendo uh, in Glendo, Wyoming, July 23rd, and that's a Sunday. And then the next one will be at Lake McConaughey, Big Mac shootout, October 22nd. Both bikes should be phenomenal. Both lakes should be fishing extremely well by the time we get there. And uh, it should really make for some great, great tournament fishing. All right, let's talk just a little bit more about Pueblo, give people an idea. Um, they have till when? Wednesday to register for Pueblo? Correct, yep. Wednesday at midnight, registration shuts down. They can register uh, through the e-tournament fishing app. So they need to go to their uh, phones, go to the app store, download the e-tournament fishing app, and through the e-tournament fishing app, they'll be able to enter the tournament uh, electronically. Okay, and what's the cost to enter Pueblo? Uh, the cost to enter Pueblo is $430 per team, and that includes for the for the whole weekend. And, again, payouts, the tournament will be capped at 60 boats per uh, Colorado Parks uh, request. And uh, the payouts, again, will be, um, if we could get 60 boats, the payouts would be uh, right around eight or $9,000 for first place. Uh, if in as uh, if we have less boats, the the payouts start to go down. But we have numerous prize packages to go with it. Cast King uh, provides prize packages. Under Armour Fish, Bass Pro Shops provides a lot of um, uh, prize money for this event, along with Big Fish Money. Uh, Truck Kings Denver provides the big lift, where we prov- we give four hundred dollars to the team that makes the biggest. Uh, you know, the biggest mark up the, the, the leaderboard from day one to day two. And so a lot of great prizes, a lot of great prize money, and a lot of great sponsors support this event. You know, you talk about the biggest second day. There was a couple tournaments. I won the comeback award when I was fishing at a very high level. 
And I always wondered, is that because I suck so bad the first day or I figured something or or I figured something out the second day? I never knew that. I never knew whether to be proud of that or not. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we we uh we really like it, the anglers really like it, and it gives you something to fight for. If you have a bad first day and you do figure it out, um it really gives them something to fight for. And it's a you know, it's a good prize. Four hundred dollars wins you your your entry money back. So you just had a free weekend of fishing. So yeah, it really is I, great I and we that. really appreciate it. The Wyoming Governor's Cup one year, I think well out of hundred and twenty boats, we were probably like hundred and fifteenth the first day. We had a big fish bite and we knew we'd only get six or seven bites, but we had to land them and we landed one and we lost I think five or six fish either right in the bushes or right at the boat. Second day, we decided to go to our spot that was going to be our fill-out spot where we had smaller fish. We ended up getting a huge bag of fish and went all the way from 100-something to 11th place. So, oh, that's amazing. And what a feeling yeah. that is, too. I, that right there typifies <laughs> the, the, the adrenaline rush you get from tournament fishing and how it can hook you and bring you back year after year. Hey, a couple quick things. I want to get an update from Pueblo, but before I do that, you're doing some software things. Tell us real quick about that. Yeah, we developed an app uh, a little over a year ago, and it's been on the market for the last few months. It's called eTournament Fishing, and it's uh, uh, an app that really anybody can use. It's used to uh, put tournaments uh, basically on the forefront and support catch and release. It's a catch, photograph, video release format. It definitely gets rid of uh, any sort of cheating or anything that could happen associated with uh, with tournament fishing. It uh, is very important for the, the, you know, keeping the fishery at a healthy level. No fish are kept in a box, no weigh stations, and anybody could use it. You can, you, Terry, if you and I wanted to get five or six of our buddies together at Pueblo this weekend and say, hey, let's go out and fish for a day, you can put in a tournament as a tournament director. Uh, you can open it up for 30 minutes for us all to enter. It can close and we can go out and we can fish our own little tournament. So uh, it is designed for the pros at the National Walleye Trail level all the way down to a couple of guys going out with uh, five or six buddies and, and having their own little event. So it and really is... The name, the, the name of it again. E-Tournament Fishing. E-term e-term fishing. fishing. And, that's in, and that's in the app stores. It is in the app stores for both uh, Apple and Android. All right. Before we run out of time, you're having a Pueblo tournament next... Uh, Next weekend, I'm sure you've been keeping track. I know you used to fish Pueblo a lot yourself. What's going down for somebody who wants to maybe head down during the week here and fish Pueblo? What's going on there now? Well, Pueblo is absolutely my favorite fishery in the state of Colorado. And as far as healthy fisheries go, it is top-notch. Pueblo is fishing really well right now. It is one of those times of year where you can go down to Pueblo and have 50, 60 fish days, no problem. Uh, For the walleye fishing you have uh, high water levels uh, across the lake, which is very interesting because that pushes way back into the coves. And in the back of the coves is vegetation. Vegetation Pueblo hasn't seen in the past is um, popping up along with the brush and everything that gets covered from growing over from the fall. And the walleyes are shallow. So if you're going to go back and fish Pueblo, do not overlook going shallow. You're going to mark fish out on points. You're going to mark fish out on main lake structure, such as rocks. And, and under, you know, underwater humps, 
but do not overlook going shallow for those fish you can't see. What about the other species? Have you heard much about um, wipers or bass? Yeah, the smallmouth, uh, of course, are always mixed in with the walleye. So I've actually heard a lot about how the smallmouth guys are catching a lot of the walleyes, which means the walleyes have pushed shallow with the smallmouth because that's obviously where the shad are going to be because they should be in their first spawn right now. So a lot of a lot of bass um, are being caught, again, back in the same areas as the walleyes. Um, you know, it's very common, as you know, Terry, fishing there a lot, to, to pull up on a spot and to start to cast, and you might catch catch five or six large smallmouth and then five or six walleye and uh they're so they're always mixed in on the same structure back in the in the bays and um and the the wiper are you know i think and i feel like they're making a, a comeback at pueblo and they're getting huge um you know we caught a really big one this spring trolling crankbaits uh you know way up in the west end where almost where the river starts so those fish are very uh, aggressive. They're getting bigger, and um, the same early morning bite for wipers is always good. And believe it or not, the early morning bite can even be on the bottom using a jig and a half a night crawler and, uh, and, and working a jig slowly across the bottom to pick up wipers in the morning and in the evening. Now, speaking of a jig, I love jig fishing Pueblo. I fish jigs down there a lot. I know you can catch fish on a number of other presentations you can catch you can cast um, jerk baits into the shallow water you can work crankbaits you control you can use bottom bouncers but i i don't tournament fish anymore and i love to catch fish on jigs uh i would rather catch a few less fish jigging since i'm not tournament fishing than spend the day trolling what presentations are working down at pueblo right now on those shallow fish well, you, you hit it on the head with most of the presentations that would be effective right now. Jerkbaits obviously are effective, um, you know, in Pueblo, for, uh, especially in the evenings, close to dark, um, are always a great presentation at Pueblo. But, uh, you know, the, the jig tipped with a nightcrawler or a leech is really good. And i got to tell you, Terry, one of the most overlooked things, I think, at Pueblo, and one of the best ways to catch fish and a fun way to catch fish are slip bobbers. Uh, you can get a slip bobber with a you know, a uh, half a nightcrawler or less. You don't want to put too much nightcrawler underneath whatever you're using, a hook or a small jig head uh, under that slip bobber because it's too much. The fish will just nip off the bottom and you'll, you'll never hook a fish. Use a half a nightcrawler or a leech, and uh, you can have uh, just a, a action-filled day with that bobber going down over and over and over for all sorts of species in Pueblo. So, uh, you know, my suggestion to people, if they want to go out and they're fishing from a boat or even from shore, um, if you have a second rod stamp and you can fish two rods, I would put a rod out with a bobber, a slip bobber, and I would fish a jig with a uh, tip with a neck crawler across the bottom. Those are always two yeah. very productive techniques. If more people fish slip bobbers, they from pros to weekend anglers, that increase their catch enormously. We are out of time. Real quick, if people want more information on CWT, where do they go? Uh, they can go to alleyesonfishing.com, and CWT is a tab at the top, and it's listed all of our events, including the shootout events, uh, will be at the webpage. And information for e-tournament fishing is also on that webpage, and e-tournamentfishing.com is a place they can find the info on the app. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Josh Sheldon from CWT. We'll take a quick time out while I rest my voice, and we'll join Parks and Wildlife when we come back on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
I got seven women on my mind. All right, we're back. We had a quick technical difficulty there, but we're back. Let's go to the phones. <clears throat> and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Kim Rogers. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Terry. Happy to be here. Well, thanks for coming. Even though it's, I don't know, is it raining? It's kind of a dreary day today where I live. It's definitely sweater weather here in yeah. Farvada. So I started... I started the show up by saying this will be the last day of rain because we average three <laughs> days of rain a month in Colorado. So this yeah. is our three days. But then I looked at the forecast. and You know, it's hard to <clears throat> complain about uh, too much water in Colorado. We have too much when we don't get it. But sometimes I get a little where I want the sun to shine. But anyway, that's not what we're going to talk about. You know, Parks and Wildlife gets involved in a lot of things, and a lot of people don't understand what goes on behind the scenes a lot. I mean, I think the biggest thing, they run the parks, they set the fishing and hunting seasons and bag limits, and you and you uh, have game wardens out there watching to make sure people follow. But, gosh, what you guys do is so much more. There's so many programs and things going on behind the scenes. We're going to talk about one of those today. And, you know, the two reasons people don't spend more time in the outdoors, one is knowledge, and this show we try to help them with that, but the other is access, having places to go. And you're going to tell us about a program that really works to try to acquire both lands for conservation and access. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I am the real estate section manager for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and a lot of people don't know that Colorado Parks and Wildlife needs a real estate section. And one of the things that we do is administer the Colorado Wildlife Habitat Program request for proposals. And your listeners are, I'm sure, very familiar with the habitat stamp. They have to pay for purchase a habitat stamp, hunters and anglers between the ages of 18 and 64, with some exceptions, in order to get a hunting and fishing license. And that program funds the acquisition of land for protecting wildlife habitat and providing wildlife-related recreational access to the public. And how long has this program been in effect? I think like 14 years or something? Well, the the uh, Habitat Stamp Statute, it's a statute that was passed actually on January 1st of 2006 when it became effective. And so um, as part of that, the passage of that, the statute also creates a program for giving landowners an opportunity to um, work with Colorado Parks and Wildlife to protect property and provide access. And so it's an annual program that that my section administers. And I wanted to let folks know that on Tuesday, June the 10th, the the website will open for applications and we'll be giving folks um, until Tuesday, October the 10th to submit applications and there's almost $11 million in funding available this year. That's awesome. Let's go over a couple uh, aspects of the program. Now, when you say sure. people can submit applications, 
you know, these are landowners or people that have control of land or maybe even groups that want to go try to get control of land or help you get control of land. Um, now, you and I talked earlier, and you do both. You get, you, get, you get conservation easements, and sometimes you actually buy the land. Explain the difference to folks. Well, a conservation easement is a, an agreement that a landowner has with a conservation easement holder. You have to be certified. CPW is a land trust are certified, the ones we work with, maybe Cattlemen's, maybe Colorado Open Lands, the Nature Conservancy, they're all um, certified to hold a CE. And the landowner keeps their land. They don't sell it to us. They just agree not to develop it in order to preserve what we call conservation values on the property. And... Um, because they don't develop, agree not to develop the property, it reduces the value of their land if they were to sell it. And so we pay the difference between what it's worth if it could be developed and then what it's worth after a conservation easement goes on it. And these now, are perpetual. And a conservation easement, do they just protect the land for conservation purposes, or do they allow hunting and fishing access, or does it vary? You know, it varies. When uh, conservation easements first started um, happening, maybe in the, in the 60s, moving into the 80s, oftentimes public access was mentioned as an aside in the conservation easement, that it was you know, permissible fishing or hunting. However, the best practice this this time during these days is to have an access easement. So it's a separate document and they work together, but it's, uh, so we separate it. And we can also, um, a landowner can also be compensated for the value of an act granting an access easement to CPW. Right, and then you also actually go out and buy property, is that right? We do. In some cases, you know, the habitat stamp statute says that that should be the last option if other options aren't available, like a conservation easement or a lease. And, um, but when, you know, if we buy something public access, as long as it doesn't disturb sensitive areas on the property is almost guaranteed. And so we do buy property. Now, and some landowners want to sell us and don't want a, a conservation easement. Now, do you have a maybe a good example of one of these uh, properties that's maybe on the front range? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a very exciting project just closed in April of this year in the um, what's often referred to as the Mount Tom Conservation Corridor. Um, it is in, uh, we acquired fee title to a little over a thousand acres of land, which is located seven miles northwest of Golden in Jefferson County. And it's going to become part of uh, what some of your listeners may utilize, the Ralston Creek State Wildlife Area. So it's in area one of the Northeast region and the GMU Game Management Unit 38. Um, and that the project, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, the project 
is going to provide eventually public access for hunting, fishing, wildlife viewing, and it does uh, conserve habitat as well. And it's part of a, a three-phase huge project. With We're working with um, the Conservation Fund is leading this, and this is the first phase to try to um, happen, and it was a, a really great collaboration between uh, GOCO, uh, Jefferson County, and the Conservation Fund. Now, we're almost out of time, but <clears throat> who can apply and quickly tell us who can apply and what the process is? If you want to apply, um, the website is going to be up. You can see what we did for last year if you want to check it out. Google Colorado Wildlife Habitat Program, and you'll find the application there on our website with instructions and information of who to call. So any landowner who owns land in Colorado and is interested in protecting it for habitat purposes, providing access to the public or selling it to CPW can apply. All right, and can affinity groups like uh, the Elk Foundation or Turkey Federation, can they get involved in any way? Absolutely. Um, in fact, most of our applications come from landowners who are represented by a third party like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or uh, Colorado Open Land. So absolutely. All right. We are out of time. It's a fantastic program, Protecting Access. So we have hunting and fishing and wildlife conservation in Colorado and per perpetuity. Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Terry. I loved it. It's my pleasure. All right. Thank you. Kim Rogers, uh, Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to talk fishing updates. Things are changing, but a lot of them for the better. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wixom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm going to let you do a lot of the talking. I'm fighting a cold, and Terry gets mad when I clear my throat on the air. So you can <laughs> oh, take care of it. You can keep me out of trouble. <laughs> Although, Perfect. I don't think anything could actually keep me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh... The times they are changing, my friend. Every time we talk, it's a different fishing environment out there. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about the early water levels too much. Uh, I was telling somebody we averaged three days of rain in June. This is the third day already, so we must be done. But that's not what the weather forecasters say. And we had the fourth wettest May in the history of the state following a big snowpack. So along with lakes rising, and there's always a couple that are going down because they're moving water. And the rivers are running high. Let's start with what's going on in the rivers. I imagine a lot of them are blowing out, but that doesn't mean there aren't some that are fishable. Definitely not. Um, so right now I just heard several reports of some guys up on the upper Colorado stretch near Pump House and Gore Canyon. Uh, the flows were uh, raised a little bit uh, from Green Mountain releases increasing some. But the salmon flies have started to pop up there, and that's one of my favorite times of year. Flows are still above 2,000 CFS, but even in that muddy water, those big monster stone flies hatching is truly one of my favorite things to do in fly fishing. You're fishing flies that are 
size six and even up to size two or four. Um, big monster drives with large droppers down below. And those fish are just ravenous during that time. You'll have them come up and aggressively eat those drives even in that muddy water. And that is a fantastic bite to take advantage of up on the upper Colorado. Um, but even in other places uh, on the Freestone Rivers, even though they're high, you can certainly get away with nymphing larger patterns, uh, Big Pat's rubber legs and micro stones that are dark in color. The San Juan worms are always a great choice. And even streamer fishing, or if you have a spinning rod, a, a spinner itself, or a small jerk bait like an HD trout or a husky jerk can all be productive to catch fish. But outside of that big stonefly hatch, a lot of times if I'm on the rivers during this particular point in time, I am going to be getting below some of the dams. Um, you know, the, as I mentioned, those Green Mountain flows did increase a bit. That was lower, but uh, the stretch of the Blue River below Green Mountain will, will remain clear even in higher flows, being that bottom release dam uh, from Green Mountain is pumping that clear water into there. But even on the Blue as well, you can get into good fishing below uh, Lake Dillon uh, through Silverthorn, and then Deckers has been fishing well also. So we've been seeing uh, reasonable beta hatches still, but certainly some caddis coming off. And with some of those higher flows, particularly lower and past Deckers with that muddier water, uh, San Juan worm and or stonefly, as I mentioned previously, is a really good choice uh, to catch quite a few fish. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. A couple things I want to point out. First of all, I love fishing the salmon fly hatch because at my age, there aren't that many flies left I can see after I make a long cast. <laughs> that is one of them. Then <laughs> the salmon flies, and they tend to be a little clumsy, so you don't have to be quite as precise. You know, they, they tend to crawl along the bottom, they climb up on bushes, and they kind of fall in, so you don't have to be as precise. But the salmon fly, a lot of times it, the rivers are so high we can't hardly fish it. The other thing is this time of the year, whether you're fishing streamers or salmon flies, if the water is fairly high and running, Leave your waders at home. The fish are going to be close to shore, and that temptation yep. to just step out and make that cast, it, it only takes one misstep in this high water, and you're in darn deep trouble. Definitely agree with that. And, and as you mentioned, the edges are where you want to be anyways. You're not going to be able to cross, and fishing you know, with the, the, the inside five feet of bank all the way up the river is where all the fish are going to suck into. It really is. Now, if you don't want to... <coughs> excuse me, fight the current, there's a lot of ponds and lakes. And before we move on to the lakes, a lot of fly fishermen this time of the year should take advantage of the bass and panfish and all the ponds up and down the front range. Totally agree. So we're just now getting into some water temps that are in the high 60s in a lot of the local ponds. Some of the largemouth are starting to, to get on some spawning beds, so certainly be uh, mindful if you're catching some fish on bed to let them go back to them after you, you catch them. But you can have great success in a variety of techniques. We're just starting to see some topwater bites. So early and late in the day, some big deer hair poppers or hard-bodied poppers can be good on the fly rod. Or if you're on the spinning rod, a little whopper plopper or a small spook can be productive. But most of everything that we've still been doing has been subsurface. So if I'm on the fly... I'm going to be stripping some streamers, some dark leech patterns, even as simple as a woolly bugger can be productive, but I really do like focusing in on some crawfish patterns. One of my favorite is a creek crawler from Umqua Fly Company. Um, those creek crawlers really are very anatomically correct, and I've caught some very nice bass on them, but also along some of those structure points, throwing a weightless Sanko from Gary Yamamoto is a great option. I like fishing it weedless and weightless as a Texas rig. And a four-inch and a green pumpkin is certainly hard to beat. I, I couldn't agree more on the, the 
the Senko weedless. We, um, a lot of people like to rig them wacky worm style, and that's folks that don't know where you put the hook in the middle and it's exposed. And it's a tremendous way to trigger bites, but especially in these ponds that are developing this weed growth this time of the year, or in lakes that you're casting back into the weeds, that Texas rig weedless Senko, it doesn't wrap itself around the weeds. It, it slides through. It's an easy one to get a good hook set. You need a little stiffer rod. I'll tell you a quick story. We're down in Mexico at Lake Huitez, and we're filming. We caught just, I can't tell you how many big bass between 6 and 11 pounds we caught. Man. We started out, we started out, it's their water, and and they, so they, I asked them what I should use, and I can't remember what they set me up with. And one of our cameramen was uh, Karen's son, Mark, and I put a Senko Texas rig so he could throw back in the brush because he, we were, he were only going to be using one camera to start. And after he caught five fish, the guide turned to me and said, maybe you should throw a Senko. <laughs> <laughs> they are incredibly productive, you know, but the one thing I always tell my customers is you have to have the right Senko. Um, the inexpensive ones that aren't heavily salt impregnated don't fish well weightless. They don't sink enough. So a higher-end Yamamoto one in particular, but I've also done well on the Max Scent Generals. You just have I to love have that one, one that sinks on its own. Um, yeah. I'm fishing them weightless. Some of those, like I said, some of the ones that are the imitation Senkos just do not work as well. I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about the lakes a little bit. Uh, what are you hearing? I know we're going to talk in a little while with Nate about Chatfield and Cherry Creek, but let's get your perspective. Yeah, this is the time of year as a warm water fisherman. It is time to get out there and get after it. So as far as Chatfield, we've been out a whole bunch as of late, and the water is high, as we've discussed for the last several weeks. Um, usually when the water gets really high in a lot of these eastern plains lakes, the fish really bury themselves back in the trees, and that's not quite happening at Chatfield. We're catching some fish really buried back in there, but I've been doing a little bit better extremely close to the trees, but on the outside edges where some of the old sand flats were and the sandy beaches. They're seeming to, to really position themselves excuse me, in between the weeds and the trees. So finding that 13 to 15 foot of water range has been best for me. And I've been dragging live minnows on jigs. That's really been the most uh, productive. But we did get into a pretty good blade bait bite this week. And with on those sandy flats right next to the trees, it's not very snaggy. So you can work that right down those edges. Swim baits haven't been working super well as of late, but I'm really hoping that as we get a good bait fish hatch that those fish are going to get further back into the trees and breaking out some of the old Glendo techniques with uh, large swim baits and weedless jig heads should be productive over the next little bit. But for the time being, I would uh, the, the bait bite finally got some leeches into the town now. Um, they've been uh, behind schedule, but I imagine those leeches should be good this week, but the live minnows have still been productive. And then at Cherry Creek, uh, that bite is a little bit more conventional at the moment. Uh, water is still a little bit higher, but we've been finding good amounts of fish in that 9 to 12 feet of water range up on top of the structure points. Blade baits have been doing well, but those fish have been really eating the coronamids uh, pretty heavily out there. So the bait bite has been a bit better. Uh, the leeches on Lindy Rigs and then crawlers on Slow Death have been producing good numbers of fish. Chatfield probably has a little bit better numbers, but you're certainly going to see better size at Cherry Creek. What about the Northeast Lakes? Have you heard much there? Definitely been a little bit less reports than I normally have been hearing. Um, you know, certainly a lot of those lakes are in uh, somewhat of a state of rebuild. 
There have been some folks catching some fish out at North Sterling, uh, although that has still not really produced like you normally would be hearing at North Sterling. Uh, the one lake out there that I have heard really decent reports on has been Pruitt, and that lake really is one that gets the least amount of pressure. Uh, it is a wakeless lake, and it's quite large and quite featureless. So many times I do best pulling planer boards out there, but you can do well on some of the much shallower structure points toward the east side near the the dike edge. Um, And I've historically been well on blade baits out there, but this time of year I would imagine covering some ground with some crawler harnesses and slow death would also be a productive way to go. And then per usual with the wiper population, you can get them pretty good pulling cranks uh, behind boards. Real quick, we only got about a minute left. What about North Park? North Park has been doing pretty well. South Delaney in particular, there's been some good coronamid bites going on under slip indicators along the western side. Folks have also been doing well on tube jigs and gulp minnows. Uh, the North Lake has been a little bit slower, but you, as usual, you have options at, at really big fish. The opportunity is there. And then Lake John, still been a little bit slow from what I've been hearing. We've seen so many bait fish in that lake over the last little bit that it hasn't really produced the numbers that we saw five or six years ago. And I, but I am hearing Lake John is producing some awfully big fish. Always have that opportunity. The biggest trout of my life came out of Lake John, and, and you have opportunities with just absolutely massive fish if you can persevere through some of the slower fishing. And the last 20 seconds, I, I've heard that the lake trout are quite shallow yet on, on like, Granby and Blue Mesa. Absolutely, and even Twin Lakes. I had a gentleman catch a uh, 35-incher from the shore, and then Granby's been producing some large fish as well. So it's a great opportunity to get out there with some big swim baits and, and have an opportunity to giant, even if you don't have a boat. We're out of time. If people want more information from you, Austin, how do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up the first hour of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening excuse me, to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has locations up and down the front range. If you're into the outdoors, you need to check one out couple things I want to talk about as we wind down this hour. Of course, Nate Slinsky will join us at the top of the hour. We'll talk more fishing. Uh, Colorado Tick Awareness. Uh, I was going to have the folks on, especially Monica White, and we have her on periodically. And we talk about the um, disabilitating diseases that ticks can spread. Monica herself suffers from a tick bite years ago, and many of her family members do. And the reason she can't be on is that she's 10 days in the hospital having her immune system worked on because of that past tick bite. Uh, There's so many diseases that ticks spread throughout the United States. Some are more regional. But one of the problems with tick diseases is they get very often get misdiagnosed. Because people get a tick, they pull it off, they forget about it, they don't know they were bit. Then they get flu-like symptoms or neurological symptoms. I know several friends of themselves and their spouses have gone through just horrific health issues because of tick bites. So um, the Colorado Tick Association is putting on a a movie called The Quiet Epidemic. Now, I know on the 17th of June, it's going to show down in Manitou Springs. 
and I may have showed in other places and I may be going to show in other places, but we don't have time to get in depth today on what ticks can do to you and the number of pathogens they can spread. But we're getting into the season where a lot of us are going to be outdoors. And you really, really need to understand how to protect yourself. There are ways that are quite effective. And then what to do if you get a tick bite so that you don't, so that you get diagnosed quickly, so you get the tick out of you the right way quickly. Do you need to save the tick? All those types of things so that you cannot end up with long-term ramifications. So what I'm going to suggest, because we couldn't get them on today, uh, go to the Colorado Tick Awareness page on Facebook. And this morning, I put a link up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So if you go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook right now, there's a post there that takes you to the Colorado Tick Awareness page. There's a ton of resources there, a ton of information. You know, you just do yourself a huge favor. You think it's not going to happen to you, but if it does, it can be just devastating. So please go take a look at that. All right, today is uh, free fishing week. I know it's going to be a little rainy off and on, but if you've got a couple fishing rods sitting in the garage and you've got a bobber and some hooks, go out to the nearest pond. Take your kid out there. If they want to fish, fine. If they don't, let them play in the park, whatever the pond has to offer. And just put up a, night crawl, a piece of a worm about two or three feet under a bobber and cast it out in these ponds and let that little worm slowly sink. If you don't get something bit, reel it in two, three feet, and your kids love to do that. The worm will rise up and sink down again. If you ever throw himself off the end of a dock, you'll, um, you'll see how they react to that, and you'll catch fish. The bluegills, the crappies, the bass are all getting ready to spawn in these ponds, and you can just have a heck of a good time. You can go for an hour or two, and you don't need a fishing license today and tomorrow because it's free fishing weekend. So get out there and uh, take advantage of that and have some fun. Go between the rains. And the fishing report. The fishing report has been really sporadic the last few months. The person they had doing the fishing report moved on to another position outside of Parks and Wildlife, and they've had, they're working to fill that position. So there hasn't been many fishing reports. But a new one was issued yesterday. And Karen has put that up on the website, that's all on the Facebook page. That's also up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook right now. The current fishing report just came out yesterday. And a couple things I want to point out. One is it's got the conditions fishing across the state. You can go by region, by lake. But there's a couple other things there you need to pay attention to. There's a stocking report. You can go on that and find out where catchable trout have been recently stocked and go just have a blast. They want you to go catch them. You'll know what's been stocked, where they are. You can go there. The other thing is there's fish surveys for waters. If you've been thinking about wanting to fish a pond or a lake, um, they have these fish surveys. You find the body of water. You click on it. And then it tells you what's been stocked over the last several years, what the, what the concentration of fish is now, what you're likely to catch there. It gives you so much information. It's just a great. So go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook and check out the fishing report. came out yesterday, and it's there today. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. Nate Solinsky will join us on 104.3 The Fan.